This is episode 407 of the 200 Churches Podcast. We teach some base fundamental scripture, but really our team has become really great at being great question askers, believing that if a team, it's not my truth when I come work with a church team, it's the truth from inside the team. And so our system is nothing more than uh, at the beginning, a series of strategic conversations grounded in scripture where a team decides and finalizes where God's leading and what they're doing. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Jeff Cady. I am here in the opulent and luxurious 200 Churches Podcast World Headquarters and Sound Studio, located just right of center of the geographical bullseye of the United States of America. Today on our podcast, episode 407, we have Doug Parks from IntentionalChurches.com. IntentionalChurches.com. I ended up on the phone with a guy named Kirby. Kirby is one of the pastors who's one of the coaches with Intentional Churches, and I asked him to talk to me about what they call Church OS. Now, being a Mac person and an iPhone person, when I saw the term Church OS, I thought, oh my goodness, this is what I've been looking for all my life, an operating system for churches. How helpful could that be? So Kirby and I spent an hour on the phone, and then I got on the line and recorded what you're about to hear with the CEO of Intentional Churches. His name is Doug Parks, and we had a delightful conversation, as most of them are. I say most because not all of them are, but most of them are. (laughs) And so uh, this is Doug and I, and you're going to enjoy this. And I really want to encourage you just to check out what intentionalchurches.com has to offer. They've got a lot of free stuff. They've actually got a podcast that you can listen to. I think he said it was a 10-episode podcast just explaining their approach and their strategy and their philosophy and their theology, their ecclesiology behind uh, how they how they lead churches in this church OS uh, paradigm. And uh, check it out, intentionalchurches.com and check out the Church OS information that you'll find on that site. Here's my conversation with Doug Parks. Douglas Parks, welcome, Doug. Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast. Thanks, Jeff. It's an honor to be with you and uh, your crew, man. Looking forward to it. Well, it's good to have you here, and you are a part of this organization that I I really know very little about. I spent one hour on the phone with one of your team members, and we had a great conversation. A lot of it was talking about ministry and each other and getting to know each other. But you are, what are you, the the founder, the head honcho, the grand poobah of intentional churches? Yes, I co-founded the ministry with a a great friend that was over on the staff at Central Church here in Vegas uh, for a while. And so I'm co-founder. And I don't know about Grand Poobah. They call me CEO, but I don't think that's really, it's more like for flair than anything else, man. <laughs> <It's> not, <laughs> for flair. I still have to clean the bathrooms. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. So intentional churches, just for the fun of it, how many 
employees in the organization right now? In our model, we have a couple of different um, forms of uh, kind of staff, but our, our W-2 staff, there's seven, but then we have about okay. 70 coaches. Okay. What we call facilitators that are more independent contractors. They're full-time in ministry, either executive pastors, senior pastors, ministers, uh, that kind of thing. So. so in a perfect world, I could become one of those even. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and you didn't know that this whole thing is a setup and it's actually an interview for my position as one of those. Awesome, man. Yeah, the training in Dallas, <laughs> March, I think, 12 through the 14th. That's funny. That's funny. Well, hey, hey, you never know. Yeah. That's the uh, that's the motto of the New York State Lottery. Hey, you never know. <laughs> so I would I would quote it here. So, Doug, intentional churches. Uh, there's a there's another name that I'm connecting with what you do. What's the other name? Is there a um, Church OS? We could, Church we could, OS. Yes, that's it. Yeah. That's it. So introduce yourself, your family a little bit, where where you've served in ministry, and then just kind of give us an overview of of intentional churches and church OS and kind of give us the 30,000 foot view there. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I grew up in Southeastern Ohio and we were joking before we got on. It's like, it's all you would imagine. If you ever watched uh, Moonshiners on the Discovery Channel, that is my <laughs> family, man. I grew up in the hills of uh, Ohio near West Virginia, which we always made fun of West Virginians. I don't understand why, because we were just like all the people in West Virginia, but uh, anyway, funny. very blue collar, coal miners, oil, um, not big money oil. And uh, so I grew up in a house that was pretty challenging. And um, my dad was eventually diagnosed with manic depressant disorder, um, abused mm. alcohol. And, uh, and in high school, I had a youth pastor at a small church, maybe 175 in this town of 1900 who came after at-risk kids like me, introduced me to Jesus, got me in the youth group when I was 16, and it literally changed my life. My family tree, wow. I'm one of the first to ever leave that area. I don't know if any of your listeners can resonate with that. Yeah. Uh, they're in towns like that. Um, so he became a mentor and a father figure. I went to a small seminary in Cincinnati because of him, but didn't preach, and I didn't do music. So I never intended to stay, but I had formed such great friendships and relationships um, that, you know, I kind of settled in there. So that led to me, uh, going to work for Chick-fil-A, uh, a brand new owner operator opened a store in Cincinnati and he is retired Marine Corps. And to this day is become a father figure, like a grandparent to my kids, uh, just an incredible man. And he taught me business and opened up a door for me to become the youngest Chick-fil-A owner operator they'd ever hired. I was 21. Wow. When I got or on the east side of Cincinnati. So I didn't start in ministry. I started in chicken ministry, not in vocational ministry. Nice. And well, we all love Chick-fil-A. So, hey, there's that. Yes. It was before the cows, man. It was early. That was a great experience. But quite frankly, I'd not dealt with a lot of issues from my childhood. You know, when you get older, you're able to kind of understand how your how you grew up affected you. And so I burned out in the year I won every award Chick-fil-A had. And one of the guys from that youth group in the seminary had moved to Vegas to be an intern inside of a church plant, called me at the right time and said, man, your story will play well in Vegas. And I think you should come visit. I think we should plant a Gen X church out here in Vegas. So all that led to uh, my wife and I packing up 
leaving Chick-fil-A, leaving Cincinnati, and I came to Las Vegas at the beginning of 1997 and fell in love with doing ministry here in Vegas. Long story inside of this, but in essence, became uh, the executive pastor uh, for the, the original church plant, and we grew very, very, very rapidly here and did all the stuff you do when you grow fast. And then just real quick, been doing this work with what is now Intentional Churches for about 13 years. Uh, Intentional Church is about to turn 10 years old. It's an exciting time. The last two years, believe it or not, COVID has allowed us to to really um, build our model in a way that really helps churches at the ground. It's a fun time. So married to my wife, Jennifer, uh, for 28 years. I have two daughters. We waited a long time to have kids, 14 and a 16-year-old. And why didn't guys like you warn me about teaching a daughter to drive? Because that is about (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had a daughter and then three boys, and the daughter actually wasn't hard to teach. It was the three boys that were the challenge. They had more testosterone. No way, man. Three lessons in, I hired somebody for the next 10 lessons. (laughs) (laughs) So she's got her license now. But uh, And then we got a COVID dog, Max is a other male in my house. So uh, that's a little bit about my family. Let me uh, just a real quick fly over what we do. Just simplistic. Yeah. What we help churches and church leaders do is uh, we use this phrase, intentionally mobilize your 99 or your congregation from Luke 15 to go reach and grow their ones from Luke mm. 15 so that they'll go and do the same. And so if you go check out our stuff, we have tons of resource, but at the, the bottom line is that's what we're attempting to do. And I say it this way these days, in a run of mega church frenzy and learning from these big churches, I think there was a shift in the American church to more institutional organizational thinking. And so I say we're helping the Great Commission become a personal mission statement for every Christ follower, not an organizational mission statement first. Hmm. So in the way we do that is we relationally, big way in our approach, we do it very relationally, not not really consultant-like, aligning your first, your staff, uh, if you have staff, your board, your key volunteers and committees, and eventually your entire congregation back to these basics of the Great Commission. And the way we do that is installing this leadership operating system. It's a new class of things in the business world, but the church has never really had one. And we call it Church OS. So that's a that's a flyover me and kind of what we do. Explain when you say it's a new class of things in the business world. Yeah, there have been a few that have been out there for a while. If you have any uh, business leaders out there, there was one by a guy named Vern Harnish. This is probably the oldest one I know of. And if you've ever heard of EO or YPO or Vistage, uh, the Rockefeller Principles is his book. It was a system, a leadership system to run your small to medium-sized business by that kept everything aligned. Uh, Since then, there's been others hit the market like EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. By um, There's a book called Traction by Gino Wickman. Uh, A couple of Harvard guys that have started one called Strategizer. And in essence, what it's doing is helping uh, a business. We've done the same for church, but a business to stay aligned and then most importantly, to be able to prioritize the right sequence of what they're going to do next instead of trying to do everything, which is what we kind of lean into in church. <laughs> Everything's important and we try to do it all at once. And so, yeah. If, yeah. Is that making sense? Yeah. And so you've ported that over into church world. 
And why isn't it just another doing church like a business and business principles? And how is it different? Great, uh, great question. In fact, we see uh, sometimes we'll see churches who have business leaders who've tried to import these business uh, systems because Church OS starts in the very foundations of Scripture. And so we back up to the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Acts 2, 42 through 47, and what's the church activity supposed to be and how we do it. And then uh, finally, Luke 15, and these three parables about uh, lost things. And so the entire thing is built out of Scripture first, not out of a business principle. So you say, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't, don't they all? Don't mm-hmm. they all say that? But you're using uh, a business uh, structure or apparatus or strategy and importing the biblical principles onto that structure? Okay, cut, cut, time out. What kind of a creepy, snarky, smart mouth I'm being here with Doug Parks? (laughs) But can you pick up on what I'm doing here? If you listen to our podcast, I hope you pick this up. I love Doug, and I totally agree with what he's saying. But I'm asking the question that I think some of you might be asking. And I might be asking, but meaning no offense, of course. Because we've all seen these groups and these organizations and these consultants that just slap this veneer of spirituality over the top of this business plan And then they try to foist it on the church. So I'm kind of taking that tack with Doug here. But I love, I love his answer. So let's pick it back up. Here's his answer. No, we're actually not using a business structure. We've created, we were influenced by a business leader in our approach, which our approach is more, we use this phrase, guided self-discovery. Okay. And what we mean by that is not coming in a traditional consultancy or business process would do an assessment, they do surveys, and they come back with a notebook of 25 things that you need to change or shore up. We follow a process that's more Socratic in nature. And so we really we teach some base fundamental scripture, but really our team has become really great at being great question askers. Believing that if a team, it's not my truth when I come work with a church team, it's the truth from inside the team. And so our system is nothing more than, uh, at the beginning, a series of strategic conversations grounded in Scripture where a team decides and finalizes where God's leading and what they're doing. Does that make sense? It's very different than the traditional business thing. And And I would argue it's actually what Jesus did. If you have never done this, there are uh, more, Jesus asked more questions throughout the Gospels. Like one of our coaches does a, a, a devotion around the questions of Jesus. It's literally three pages long of how Jesus mm. led someone to self-discover as opposed to telling them. Yeah, so say I wanted to, uh, I called you and I said, hey, you got this church, I need this operating system in my church, man. Can I? Is this something I can download and then just fill in the blanks, or or how do I do this? What well, what would your response be? I would start with just doing some research. So we have a special. We have a, a book that was published. Ironically, came out in March of 2020. 
<laughs> a great time to release a Perfect. Book. So you could go to Amazon and get it. But a book's a big commitment, you know, to sit down and read a book and try to digest. We have a, uh, because you're on a po- we're on a podcast, we have a special 10 episode book podcast wherever you get podcasts. It's oh, an cool. overview from me and Bart with someone interviewing us like this. That's probably where I tell someone to start is start with episode two. What is church OS? What's the name of the podcast? It is uh, just intentional churches, intentional, intentional churches. churches. Okay. It's available on all the platforms with Doug parks. Okay. Yeah. And there are multiple other ways you could kick the tires on it. If you go to our website, uh, we have uh, the church OS assessment you can take. That is three minutes. And it, it refers to 21 benchmarks of a church and you evaluate yourself red, yellow, green, and then it generates a little report of maybe some action steps you could do. So multiple things somebody could do to start, begin the journey. But my deal would be first understand it because it is new to church. This does not exist. A scripturally based leadership operating system does not exist in the evangelical church that we know of right now. So that is really interesting. What what are churches doing that uh, are out? Basically, they're not doing this. What are they doing that's kind of taking them down the wrong path so that they're not seeing any fruit? Mm. You know, they're really not seeing any advance or, or any benefit in, in their ministry? Yeah, I, I, I kind of want to answer in two parts. First off, I would argue every church leader listening, your church already has an operating system. Okay. And it may be the consensus operating system. Like we have to get to consensus before we make a decision or move forward. It may be the prophet where the senior leader has to go up on the mountain and come down with what God's telling them to do next. There is some unwritten operating system in every church we've ever visited. But back to your question a little more, I would say what I think has happened, small and large, is we have made the real issue in the American church right now, we have made evangelism and discipleship binary. And we've made it a linear journey. Instead of seeing relational evangelism, as a force multiplier in the discipling journey of our people. So if there's one thing we've learned by going, literally, we built the entire, intentional church has been built by going church by church. We didn't write a book at first. We didn't get in a room and say, we're the greatest thinkers ever. We got to come up with this new idea. We just went and tried to help churches kind of get back to fundamentals. And in that, I think this was the great learning that COVID proved in spades Relational evangelism has died in most congregants, not pastors. Almost every pastor in ministry still wants to reach people in their community and help them. I don't know. You see the same thing? Uh, I do. I do. And uh, I think that some churches will promote, hey, you bring them to church and they'll get saved here. They'll turn to Christ here. They'll whatever here. And, uh, th- and that's one way of doing it. And if you've got like a really great church with a great, you know, first rate speaker, you know, I mean, you'll, you'll bring some people and you'll get some people uh, committed, but probably if you dug into that picture, you would see that those people, they're, they're really coming to Jesus because of the relationships around the kitchen tables and in the living rooms and in the workplace. That's right. Into the neighborhoods. 
ministry, no matter the size of your church. I'll tell, I want to tell a story about one of, our, one of my favorite stories we just heard back from the, the field in a minute here. But no matter the size of your church, relational evangelism is how you grow, I believe, deeply committed disciples of Christ. Because when I have my neighbor in mind, and I'm from 1 Corinthians, planting or watering on the gospel, I'm trusting God for the increase. That dynamic changes the way I pray, the way I think about if he comes to Christ, having to teach scripture now about how to become a Christ follower and live that way instead of always entrusting it to the organization or the professional pastor. Yeah. So in irony, Jeff, is that in smaller churches, we are finding it's actually way easier to get back to these basics than in the big mega churches. Hmm. It's way easier. And and I was referencing one of my favorite stories recently. It's a General Baptist Church in Missouri that's 45 minutes from the nearest Dollar General. I mean, it's out there. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Jay, the senior minister there, they had uh, about 30 in weekend attendance and just got back to some of these basic principles. They had prayer meetings about their ones made a list of 24 people about 18 months ago in their community they knew who needed Jesus. Uh, and just recently told uh, told our storyteller, uh, we baptized all 24, and now we don't have room in our small one-room church. We're going to have to go to multiple services, and there's ba- barely a stoplight where he lives. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Whereas you know as well as I do, mega churches tend to think they almost always have it figured out. And my finding has been, I actually love smaller church pastors and the way they're able to apply these basics of back to the basics. You don't have all the resources. You just get back to basics, man. So pretty soon I'm going to talk with a guy named Roger Parrott. He wrote a book called Opportunity Leadership, Stop Planning and Start Getting Results, which is really intriguing to me. And it's a... This sounds a little bit similar in that you're talking about or something that's very organic, something that happens when people get together and care about others. And I think that Roger's talking about this five and 10 and 15 year plan is kind of dead, that instead they've got to be looking for the opportunities that are coming their way. And that opportunity leadership actually will get results where planning, long-term planning really just his contention is it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Do you do you see any similarity or any connection there with, with what you do in oh, terms of yeah. – yeah, go ahead. I was going to say I completely agree. I mean, we – you know, doing – in a church, doing five-year, 10-year planning, I, I honestly never believed in when I was an executive pastor – I would put vision up five years out, and we still do, but more to put tension on today so we can prioritize. We teach vision as dynamic, not static. Like if you're going to use vision in this way, a tensioning tool in today so we can prioritize better, then we have to, God's revealing as we go through our work and we execute on whatever our strategies are over this year, we're going to learn and God's revealing more. And so we we recommend churches are like annually just resetting some sort of vision three to five years out, but it's not as if it's static. Like it's just going to live there. We're going to revisit and learn. So your question, I would wholeheartedly agree with 
we we believe this at the this again back to small churches when a church is 30 there's not that many different strategies they can implement but now my friend jay he's grown the church now has to organize more there's more people we got to care for more people we got a bigger budget we got all these things happening and to me that is where the drift starts happening away from the fundamentals when we get mm. Of great commission when when a church grows and now we have to organize it like a yeah. entity is where we forget our roots are really in coffee shops and living rooms and like we're in the people business in the ministry. Yeah, yeah that's really good. You talked about the binary view of evangelism and discipleship. I would imagine you're thinking that you know some people start growing before they actually come to faith, and at some point they they come to faith. Who even knows? Sometimes when it is, and we can't necessarily put the cart be always before the horse. Yes. For me, the, the chapter of the Bible this year has just become a mantra for me when I'm trying to encourage church leaders. You don't control outcomes anyway. First Corinthians uh, 3, God is the one who gives the increase. So when I take that pressure off myself to produce or my people to produce, or even Christians. You talk about evangelism with longtime Christians, their blood pressure goes up. They feel <laughs> guilt and shame. Like they know they yeah. should be doing this. But for me, the prioritization of just remember we're planting and watering. You don't know who at work might be planting another seed in your neighbor <laughs> or it's, it's the dynamic nature of God and the way the gospel works in our, our community. So so 27 years ago, Rick Warren came out with his book with five purposes, right? Since then, uh, I've taken a, a view that two of those, I think, aren't purposes, but they're results. And then the other three are practices. You could say purpose. I say practice. We practice these things. But then I add, I add a, what I think is the active ingredient that I think is missing in his model, and it's just it's what it is, right? We always build off each other's stuff, um, and that is love. That is love because you could have a church that does all five of those things. That's just what they do as a corporate entity, but there's not it's not motivated and fueled by love. And you can you this who knows what you're creating, but when you have love that fuels worship and relationships and service, I think then the end result is that the people grow and they reach more people. Hmm. Because when you've got a loving relationship and a loving service to others, um, and then what is evident is that you really do love the God you're worshiping, then you can't not have people attracted to that and if you're trying to serve somebody based on love, you build a relationship with somebody based on love, you're going to learn. You're going to learn a lot because it's going to be hard mm-hmm. um, because you have to be selfless and put yourself down and and elevate the other and your other's focus. So uh, we talk a lot at our church about um, about love, about mm-hmm. loving others. And so I've gotten to the point where I don't know if you could really have an evangelism program. I think that's a shortcut to what the scriptures really tell us. And Jesus tells us over and over. And then a few years after I started teaching this at my church, Stanley came out with that, um, with that great teaching. I don't remember the name of it, but he talked about love, 
how Jesus said, you know, we just got this one thing that you have to do. And he like boiled it down too, to that, to that new command, that one thing. So in uh, Church OS, how, how, is, how is what I just said connected in, how does it look, what does it look like in, your, in the operating system? Is there any correlation there? Oh, yeah, because our, these scriptural teachings, we start at, especially with a pastor or a board, are you doing these things? Not to, you're, it start, we say it this way, you are the first disciple. So if you're not loving your neighbor and you're not working to die to self (laughs) as you love your neighbor, then there's part of the equation missing. (laughs) So, and again, because when a church organizes, we tend to think, oh, now there's specialists. There's certain people that have to do that. I don't have to do that. And uh, so for inside of Church OS, we're always going to bring it back to the unit level one. Does the leadership in your words, express love. Because to your point, the five purposes was great. But at the end of the day, those are behaviors. And I know from parenting, sure you do too, my kid could do the right behavior, but have the wrong intent in their heart. Mm -hmm. And so when, and you can't measure very well with a number, love and intent. (laughs) Right. And so you know, my, my deal, I love hearing that you've turned that switch some in your congregation of like, it is about your intent. Are you showing love? Are you dying to self more and more as Jesus called you to do? And in that, the results of reaching people will take care of themselves. (laughs) It's not, it's not yours to control. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, then that's a great point that it it takes care of itself. If we, if we love people, the numbers are going to take care of themselves. And, and I often say that every church has a kingdom potential and they're not all the same. You know, some churches are going to be so big and other churches will be, you know, a different size and that's okay. And there isn't a standard, uh, or anything like that. So, um, Doug would tell me another story. Tell me another story about, uh, a pastor and a church leadership team that, uh, went through your, uh, coaching and, and training and has imported the church OS into their church. And tell me what's happened in their church and how they've changed. Yeah, we um, we have just the last two to three years uh, partnered now with church planting. And so we've got about 75 church plants uh, in some version of running church OS as their operating system. And so one that comes to mind is a church in Georgia, uh, Creekside Church plant that was came from a, a another church a lot of believers came over and when we went to we do it what we call an installation with the team but it's in essence a day of strategic conversations that we're facilitating for that team um, it became very apparent that the planter was um, in essence, didn't care very much about how they grew, just that they grew. And so a lot of other Christians who were tired of their other church were starting to come to this church plant, but with no love and passion to reach people. Hmm. And so this is, it was honestly, for me, it was kind of, I'm like, why would you ever get into church planting if you didn't want to reach your community? But hey, we've seen all kinds of stuff in church leadership. (laughs) 
Um, mm. So we installed there about eight months ago, and I had uh, his uh, part-time executive kind of leader. Uh, she was at our training uh, last month in, in uh, Orlando, and she said, it took us about a month, but everybody is under conviction. We have to go reach first as the lead volunteers and core team. We have to be about reaching people far from God first. And we have to call other Christians can do that will do that. Because what she told me is we were on a path to Christian consumerism. And what yeah. OS has helped us do hmm. is root back in the greatest kryptonite of Christian consumerism is reaching my what we call your relational network, your relational reach zone. <laughs> so uh, she told me they uh, had a huge baptism service recently. I think they baptized 20. And it's all because they got back to these fundamentals. We have this church up in Utah. Utah is a hard place to do ministry. It's like yeah. the field. You know, small, small church, like 120, 110. And all, they, all we did, Church OS flipped their mind with intent that the pie social which was a very insider 99 Christian event. They turned into a relational evangelistic effort. So everybody was challenged to bring a neighbor friend to the pie social instead of just being this insular Christian experience. It's stories like these, man, that are for me, when I say getting back to basics, it's the basic blocking and tackling of ministry. What kind of resources do you supply to a church who gets involved with your organization? Well, there's a ton at this point. And so I, I wouldn't want to overwhelm people, but we have a YouTube channel that has a lot of our stuff that you could, everything we build, we build that you as a, a pastor or minister could use. So the YouTube channel, although it is marketing and you know people find us through it, is primarily built that you could start taking some of these principles and utilize them. So the YouTube channel, we have the book, we have uh, a book study guides uh, that you can get from uh, from us. That one is for your leadership team, and one is designed for boards and overseers. And then we have, you know, uh, we we actually started last year a national event, a, a conference for Church OS. It's a users conference where there's no big names on stage. It's more about being led by the churches who are u- using Church OS to reach and grow their communities. So there's there's a ton of resource, Jeff. And I, I these days I always worry that I'm giving too many <laughs> options because okay. there's so much. But I would well, start with something fundamental, like you can order the book on Amazon. Uh, the podcast is free. There, you know, there's there's a variety of ways that you could start into this journey and, and kicking the tires on it. So, so once you've kicked the tires and determined, hey, we're all in, we want to do this, then what do you provide to churches as they get started? Yeah, the ability to self-install now, uh, meaning okay. you can try to do this on your own. Uh, we have a digital uh, installation. We have a, a church right now in Vietnam, a small church in Vietnam, installing Church OS through our digital uh platform, which has some videos and then has digital coaching tagged to it. That's another kind of, it's a bump up because it does cost a little more. We're paying a coach, but our, our gold standard, if you will, is um, what we call a lap. It's a year long engagement with us 
where you'll have a IC certified coach with your team for up to six days in a year. Um, so there's all kinds of ways now that you can start this journey. We have, uh, we're getting ready to do this weekend uh, in Houston for primarily Spanish, 10 Spanish speaking churches who are all small, uh, what we call an unleash event. And it's a one day workshop that primarily has been done by smaller churches where you're learning the principles of church OS, but you actually build a plan with your team during the day. And all 10 of those teams will walk out of Saturday with an action plan and some priorities from that event. Mm. So yeah, I'll stop now. There's a long list of things. Well, that's good. That's good. Because what drew me to this, uh, when I got on the phone, who did I talk to on the Kirby. phone? Remind me. Frank Kirby. Kirby. Senior pastor yeah. in Wisconsin for a long time. Yeah. So Kirby and I were talking and he said, Jeff, you know, how did you get connected? And I'm like, Kirby, there's so much going on. I'm in such a whirlwind in my life. I don't even know who you are or why we're even talking. I just know I signed up for this. At some point, I thought it was a good idea. <laughs> I, said, I said, remind me of the organization you're with, right? So it's it's good to hear all that. But what drew me was the OS piece, because I think a lot of us pastors, we are not executive pastor material, right? We we don't see we don't see all of the inner workings of the church. Uh, we you know we have this kind of big picture, a lot of very relational thinking, but but we're not thinking about how everything fits together. And I think that's what drew me when I saw, I think the, the mar- if you want to use the crass term marketing, the marketing effectiveness of church OS, I think at least for me, it was good because I do need to have an operating system to run on more than uh, what used to be now, not anymore, but what used to be Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you know what I mean? Yes. So, those kinds of things. And, uh, and so what I've looked at, the little I've looked at, and, and I've looked some at your uh, different study guides for your book, uh, for your leadership team, and then for uh, elders, elder teams, um, was uh, a lot of good stuff there. Uh, so you would encourage pastors to go to your podcast, get the book if they want to get the book, check out your YouTube channel, and I'll have links to these things uh, at... Great. Uh, let's see, it's going to be episode 407 of the 200 Congrats. Churches podcast. Yeah. And I would say uh, the other thing, the study guides aren't publicly available. That I would okay. be more than willing if you include my email address. If any of your listeners want one of those, I'll gladly send it to them. Okay. Glad. Really good. Really good. Now, now before we uh, land the plane, Doug, talk to small church pastors. This has been a crazy time. I think, honestly, at least for me in my area, we're kind of past the crazy time. If it's still crazy, it's just because we're crazy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think that, you know, life is hard, but that's not going to change. So we're in ministry and we're doing it. But speak to small church pastors. Give some encouragement and some uh, motivation to us. I would say, Jeff, I think my experience has been for most pastors this last two years or whatever has been has just sucked. It's been a nightmare. Um, but I would say to you, remember, I believe pastors, especially small church pastors, are the last kind of hope brokers 
in our society. Like there is no, no other entity I can think of who is about bringing hope to a community, especially a rural or smaller community, like a pastor. And so I've anywhere I go and I get asked this question, I try to remind you, you are a hope breaker that you carry with you in your DNA, a conviction around the gospel is the solution to many of our society's problems. And so don't forget that. Be a hope bringer. Own it. <laughs> like, And uh, I think if we more and more of our pastors do that, you will find encouragement on the other side of it. Because our, I believe our culture, even in Las Vegas, when you bring hope, it's weird how people are attracted to it. <laughs> because it's yeah. so abnormal for social media in our society that we live in. So be a hope bringer. And then I would say for me, I said this to you before we got on. Uh, small church pastors, especially, are heroes of the faith to me. And I would not have known Jesus without a small town, small church, youth minister intentionally showing me love. And so um, to me, it's heroes of the faith, man. And you were 16 years old. 16. Yep. You weren't, And you weren't heading necessarily in the right direction. Oh, <laughs> no way, man. I would have been working if I was lucky in the coal mine or the, for the state of Ohio on a road truck. Well, cool. Doug, thanks so much. And uh, uh, intentionalchurches.com? Yes. All right. Take a look. As you said, kick the tires. And I think you've got a lot there uh, to offer churches. So I hope, I hope, Pastor, that you seriously consider this because now you've heard Doug's words and, and his story. And uh, if you think your church needs a little bit better direction and an operating system to run on, I encourage you go to intentionalchurches.com and uh, check out what Doug's doing. Doug, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Jeff. It was great. Thank you. Well, there you have it, my friend, my conversation with Doug Parks. Now, Doug and I talked for a little bit before we pushed record and uh, had a really good conversation. Doug's just a delightful guy, and I hope I get an opportunity to get to know him a little better. Honestly, I hope that our church ends up partnering with them and using their church OS. I need to... I need to let my elders be a part of that decision-making process. I know about as much as you know about it because although I talked to Kirby for an hour, we just talked a lot of, you know, we're two pastors and we talked a lot of ministry stuff and family stuff. But I would have to look more into it. And I also need to do it, and I challenge you, Pastor, you need to do it in partnership um, and in collaboration with your church leadership. And so I gave all the information Kirby had sent to me an email with a bunch of information on it. Before even even reading it, I gave it to one of my elders. I forwarded it to him. He and I were sitting at lunch, and he's a guy who needs to look over material and just kind of let it percolate in his mind. The guy's an engineer. He's off the charts, brilliant but he's just not a quick, like, in-the-moment processor. He needs to take some time to mull over information, and then he gives me just great feedback and recommendations. So this time I learned. I learned if if we're looking at doing something that will be kind of a big bite in terms of time investment, people investment, resource investment, 
And if we're going to do something with intentional churches, it, it probably would be that. Uh, I wanted him to look it over with a fine-tooth comb ahead of time. And then I can gauge his reaction and response to it. And that's kind of the first step. Because we often, and I think I said this recently, maybe on my Coaching for Pastors podcast, I said that we, we do underestimate the number of stakeholders that we need to get on board when we're involved in the change process. You know, we overestimate the speed at which we can accomplish change, and we underestimate the number of stakeholders that we really need to get on board uh, in the change process. So in something like this, I want to begin to get stakeholders, people who really have an, an, an interest and make an investment and have a stake in our ministry. I want to get them on board first. So, Pastor, you know, you can kind of hear me as I'm talking to you, kind of processing some of this, you know, even as I'm recording this episode. But that's the way it is. You know, I I don't want to jump at things like I did some years ago. I, I just learned to take people with me and allow people to help me to make decisions, then there's more buy-in and there's more ownership by a broader base of people involvement than if I just say, hey, here we go. This is what we're going to do. Let's go. That sounds good on some rah-rah-rah rally, but it doesn't work very well in real life. So, Pastor, again, intentionalchurches.com. Check it out. Good to be with you today. Good to talk to you. Thank you, Doug Parks, for joining me. And we'll catch up with you next week on the 200 Churches Podcast.